Star Trek, our favorite frontier. These are the podcasts of Aaron and Polly, their ongoing mission to explore all things Trek, to seek out cool things and pick them apart, to boldly complain as no one's complained before. This is Aaron. And this is Paul. And welcome back to our our winter episode of Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. We told you we'd be back. Yeah, we had a shorter hiatus than Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> well, you know, it just it just took a matter of finding some things to talk about, Paul. That's well, all it took. Well, really, I think what we did was we fired our showrunner. That's right. We have since hired a new showrunner who's the same showrunner as the last showrunner. Right, right, right. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think we're on the right track now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's the way you do things. Plus, you know, you know, we're going to come back and talk when new Star Trek beer is released. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, that was just going to happen, right? I, I think they I I feel like they should have a Star Trek with Aaron and Polly beer. That is correct. That is correct. I, I, I see it now. Yeah. <laughs> Bucket list. What kind of what kind of beer would that be, Paul? Hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like it would be easy drinking, just like the easy listening podcasting that we do. <laughs> <laughs> Thought you were going somewhere else with that, but okay. <laughs> so Schmaltz Brewing, through the uh, Federation of Beer, I believe, yes. has uh, released an all-new uh, Star Trek-themed beer uh, in honor of Next Generation's 30th anniversary. Yes. Is that right? And uh, it is called Captain's Holiday. It is brewed with orange peel and lime. So does that make it a shandy? What does that make that? No, it's still a beer. It's still a beer? Okay. Yeah. yeah. If, it, if it had orange juice, then it would be a shandy. Gotcha. Okay. So it's just going to have a little bit more citrus notes, but still, you know, firmly in the beer family. Correct. Correct. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you know, I, I always love the... Uh, box artwork and the label artwork for these schmaltz brews uh beers and this one's really nice it's got the horgon from uh, planet risa front and center so that you can put your your four pack of beer out on the table next to you and women and others will know that you are ready for play because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i'm so. sure you're gonna pick up all the ladies with your Star well, Trek others. Captain it doesn't necessarily It doesn't necessarily have to be ladies. This if, is true. If, uh, if Paul Stamets has taught us anything, it is that, uh, you know, there are many choices in love. There are. And uh, so, so, you know, you could, uh, you know, you just, you know, let people know that you are available for romance. <laughs> to beam <laughs> me up. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so the uh, Captain's Holiday is available in four packs in retail outlets in 35 states across the country. Somehow not mine. And mine. Uh, will be on draft <laughs> at select bars. Um, you know, for more information, check out um, Schmaltz Brewing Company. Uh, that's S H 
M-A-L-T-Z uh, Brewing Company. Um, and uh, certainly, uh, th- th- it, this is not their only be- Star Trek-related beer. They have a bunch of cool beers. In fact, um, I don't know if they still do it, but every year they used to do a Jack Kirby birthday beer. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, they had a Jack Kirby birthday celebration, and and friend of the podcast, Ron Mars, who who has written many, many comic books, um, would, would be all the comic that. books. All the comic He's books. written all of them. Yes. Yeah, every single one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they, they are uh, located in Clifton, New York. I guess that's kind of upstate New York. And uh, schmaltzbrewing.com is their website. Yeah, and uh, they're good guys. Uh, you know, uh, longtime listeners will know that Paul and I uh, went to a tasting with them in New York, and we were up there for uh, the uh, Mission New York Star Trek convention. Uh, <laughs> I myself have bought two cases of Star Trek beer, the Golden Anniversary Edition. Um, it's good stuff. I highly recommend it. But you know, Paul, I think a lot of us who are Star Trek fans mm-hmm. think that the greatest battles will be fought in outer space. But that's not true, Paul. No. I think we know now now in the 21st century, not the 24th or even the 23rd centuries, we know that the greatest battles are fought in social media. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, we have the captains uh, at war with each other over the last week or so. Um, Jason Isaacs, uh, Captain Lorca from Star Trek Discovery and perennial favorite William Shatner, Captain Kirk from the original series, uh, at odds with each other. And really, it's sort of a, a one way at odds <laughs> yeah. when, you read the, when you read the article. Shatner blocked Isaacs from his Twitter feed and never said why. Um, we, there, there is speculation that, you know, Shatner has been very vocal that he is not a big fan of the social justice warriors or SJWs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is thought that he perceived Jason Isaacs as, as such and, uh, blocked him. And so there was, there was a cold war there for a bit, Paul, uh, at, in which, uh, you know, Jason Isaacs was, was not able to communicate on Twitter with, uh, with the chat. And, uh, you know, fortunately, that that long, cold winter, I think about two days, um, went by and, and Shatner unblocked him Whew. from Twitter. So, you know, we're able to to unite the captains once again. Well, you know, supposedly Jason Isaacs said that he was not interested in having Shatner as a guest star on Discovery. And I got to yes. be honest, I don't know that I disagree with him. Right. I mean, no, I don't either. It doesn't really but, make you know, sense. It wasn't that I don't like Bill Shatner. It was that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have an actor who is in his 70s, maybe 80 years old, come in to play a character who would be in his 20s at the time. Yeah. You know, exactly. that was the thing is it just doesn't make any sense. Um, well, and I know Shatner, you know, would say, well, you know, I was stu- stuck in that vortex in uh, Star Trek Generations. <laughs> and who knows? Time was fluky in there. And I, I, yeah, sure. But, you know. No. Yeah. Just don't do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, my thing is, is, you know, Shatner had his opportunity to guest in uh, in other Star Trek uh, properties and chose not to do it. He was Bigfoot and I'm right. I'm, I'm too big a star, you know, and now he wants to. And, you know, there's no room for him. You know, I, that's that's sad to me that, you know, Shatner did not embrace his fandom uh, early enough on no. to be able to participate in that kind of stuff. Don't get me wrong. I am I am thankful for the fact that the guy certainly is now, right? He's made documentaries. Oh yeah. Um, you know, yeah. He, he certainly embraced the 
you know, in much the same way, quite frankly, that a lot of those guys who were popular back in the 60s and 70s for a certain property, well, let's say 70s and early 80s, really, Um, you know, Shatner, I mean, and hopping over to Star Wars, Mark Hamill, Harrison Mm -hmm. Ford, a lot of those guys were like, nope, I did my movies, leave me alone, I don't want to think about Star anything. Right. (laughs) Star wild card. Well, Um, it's because, you know, back in those days, people got typecasted. Yeah. You know, you could not get another role. You know, Leonard Nimoy, uh, a vastly talented actor, uh, could not get other work until he started directing. Yep. You know, and back in those days, they weren't so so open to having actors direct, you know. Uh, So we live in a very different world where where, (laughs) quote, the stain of genre doesn't stain you any longer. No, if anything, it's more of a steady paycheck. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you see actors going out there and embracing their fans early on. Yeah. Uh, You know, and I always come back to to the great example of Stephen Amell, who is working all week long shooting Arrow, goes out on on the weekends and does the conventions. And, you know, despite the fact that he he refused to touch us, Paul, refused to touch us. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, he, he is out there being, being generous with his fans. Um, then right back at work. I mean, these are people who know how to keep, keep a job. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm very impressed with that. I'm very impressed with that that we see in our, in our, uh, actors today. I would agree. And, you know, we see that as well with, uh, uh, the Star Trek discovery, uh, production team, you know, they, they had a day at Las Vegas, at the Las Vegas convention this year. Mm-hmm. And they were not very well welcomed. You know, there were, there were a lot of fans who were like, fuck you for fucking up my Star Trek, <laughs> you know? And so they, they did their Q and a, they did their panel and whatnot, and they continued to hang around the convention. And even though people, many people were not excited to see them. And, you know, so they would just hang out in Quark's bar and chat people up. I think that's the way you build a fan base. Absolutely. I think that's the way you build loyalty. And that's that's what they did. I, I, I admire. If what? any one of them wants to buy me a drink, a uh-huh. Romulan ale, you know, a, a pan galactic gargle blaster. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of the whatever that is. Yeah. I, I mean, I will be your fan for at uh-huh. least the duration of that beverage. The duration. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say for the, at least the rest of the season. Uh-huh, but uh-huh. yeah, I mean, you probably have to buy me a couple drinks for that. I mean, that's that's yeah. that's another six weeks of investment right there. Oh, and, and at six ninety nine a month, <laughs> fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, since we're talking about discovery, let's uh, let's talk about. We had some new comic book releases this week. Yes, from IDW Publishing. Uh, you know, they hold the rights for Star Trek, and uh, you know, when we went to Star Trek Mission New York last year. Um, you know, we had uh, a, a plenty of Star Trek related news, including the fact that there was going to be a Star Trek Discovery comic book. And over a year later, you know, now that the series has been released, um, Discovery number one has come out in comic book stores. Uh, written, uh, it, it is co written um, by, uh, gosh, what's the guy? Is Mike Johnson? Is the- Mike Johnson. He's the, the regular ongoing Boldly Go writer. Yes. Yeah, and um, and he he co-writes it with a, another gentleman whose name escapes me right now. Um, Which one, Discovery or Boldly Go? I'm sorry, Discovery. Discovery is actually with Kirsten Beyer, right? Who is that. who who is the um, 
she's a producer on Discovery, and she is the Star Trek person in the room. She used to to be over the Star Trek line of novels, or used to be yeah. involved in the Star Trek line of novels. So she actually knows her Star Trek. She's just not some putz writer <laughs> <laughs> who's who's working a gig. She actually knows the continuity. She understands the characters. Um, you know, she is the the fan representative in the room. Gotcha. And, yeah. Uh, you know, there's art by Tony Shastin, who is also uh, has done other Star Trek uh, books for IDW. Yeah. So, Aaron, uh, Star Trek Discovery number one, The Light of Kalis. Uh, I'm sorry. It's Kalis. Kalis. Come on. Pronounce your, pronounce your goddamn Klingon right, Paul. <laughs> K- well, as we know from that Klingon education <laughs> course that we took together, I don't uh-huh. pronounce Klingon correctly. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not redneck Klingon. Kalas. At Kalas. Kalas. I'm going to get my bat left and whoop your ass, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so the light of Kalas. Uh-huh. Um, so this is uh, kind of a, a, a throwback tale. Uh, the origins of Takuvma. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the uh, you know the the secret origin of Takuvma, right? Yes. Um, and this is you know, it's actually kind of information that might have been helpful when you were watching uh, the first two episodes of Star Trek Discovery. And I got to tell you, Paul, Paul, yes. are you ready for this? This is the first time in my Discovery experience that I didn't hate the Klingons. Well, perhaps because Be- they weren't speaking Klingon the entire book. That, now, that would have been difficult. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I le- legitimately I was concerned when I bought this, that they would have the Klingonese in the, the, the bubbles. Right. And with the translation below it, I I truly, I was like, Oh my God, are they going to, are they going to do that? (laughs) I can totally see doing that, you know, to make sure that you get the same feel from the TV show or that you get both, right? Like it's educational Klingon. Right. (laughs) But, uh, uh, I, the storyline did not drive me crazy. Um, I still have issues with the way the Klingons look, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But uh, uh, this this story um, was interesting. Um, I didn't love the story, um, but uh, you know, it tells the story of of Takuvma, who is part of a of a failing house, you know, a, a failing um, uh, bloodline in the Klingon Empire that has you know has lost its honor. It would seem mm-hmm. who who, you know, isn't managing its 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 former wealth, has more debt than credit, um, you know, and really is having some trouble. And the, the part that bugs me about it is the, hey, we've got this old uh, starship out in the woods that everyone's forgotten about. We're going to rebuild it and have a show. <laughs> you know, it's this it's this weird story where we're going to rebuild the old uh, battleship out in the woods. And when it's built, we're going to go out there and, you know, kick some ass and regain our Klingon honor. Yeah. On the one hand, I, I like the, the, the story and the path to regaining Klingon honor. I liked getting to know a little bit more about Takuvma. Uh, what I, I the the I the notion that. You're just going to pull together these parts to make this thing space worthy again. It sort of reminded me of that old TV show with Andy Griffith, uh, Salvage One. Oh Do you remember gosh. that, Paul? Do you remember Salvage <laughs> now One? Now we're going we're, back. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're going to, <laughs> we're going to uh, build a spaceship out of all these spare parts out in the junkyard. <laughs> 
That's what it seemed like to me. That or Sanford and Son. I'm not <laughs> sure. I, I, I would totally buy it more if it was Sanford and Son. <laughs> I'm coming, Elizabeth. <laughs> Dummy. I'm coming, Takuma. Kayless, I'm coming. <laughs> But uh, I, I make fun, but I actually kind of enjoyed this book. And I, I thought it was beautifully drawn. Yeah, I did too. I thought the art by Tony Shastian was very good. I, I was I will tell you the first page of the book, which is the um the the Klingon Takuvma's flagship. Yeah. I thought was poorly illustrated, and so I was I was very concerned about the book from there. Uh but I, I the book that from there kind of moves to just um, you know, ground level um yeah artwork and i thought that that worked better but that that first spaceship i was i was not a fan of that drawing that, that first splash page yeah it's the, yeah and what we're talking about is the ship of the dead right yeah you know, the, ship the, ship the, dead. That, the, the ship that engages uh giorgio and her ship uh you know at the beginning of uh of star trek discovery um but i you know despite that fact i i i think it is kind of a a, a questionable full page drawing but um in its defense, it's really been beaten all to hell, right? Well, and true. And to to be fair, it could not. It may not be an artistic issue, but rather a design issue of the ship, right? Well, and I, and I think it is because I hate the design of that ship. I mean, some things are just hard to draw. You know, if you if yeah. you like, for example, I'm just going to throw out a random reference here, but like a Michael Bay Transformer, right? You know, if you try to read a comic, I, those designs are so hideous. Mm-hmm. Um, or the you know, or a Michael Bay Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. There are just some designs that don't look good. Um, right. And, and looking at this, this is probably one of those. Yeah. Um, you know, from I, I will tell you, from a fundamental standpoint, I I I didn't think this book was a story that I was interested in. Okay. Um, and, and and I'll say that from you know, while, while I thought it was well executed, I thought it was well written and well drawn. Um, Takuvma was the villain in the pilot. We have had eight episodes mm-hmm. since. Right. Uh, and, you know, it, for me, it's like, who gives a shit? You know, <laughs> um, the, the, the guy died in the first episode. I don't know that I care about his origin. When I pick up a book called Star Trek Discovery, I would have actually have liked to seen some of those tales that occurred between episodes. You know, we, we discovered that some time we, we talked about how some time had passed in between episodes. And now Discovery was like the flagship of of the Federation and had done all these missions in between episodes. And I would have liked to have seen a little bit more elaboration on that in this book rather than the origin of the guy who was the villain and died in the first episode. You know, like for me, it felt like a throwaway tale that's not going to add anything to the mythos. And perhaps that's part of it, right? You can, you're limited in what you can tell, but I didn't care. I I don't know that I care in general about, about um, Takuvma's childhood. It it may have benefited the first episode. Had they released this as a one shot to coincide with the release of the first episode, I would have cared more. Three months later, I care significantly less. Well, I suspect that um, it's informative of you know how it impacts Laurel and Vol. Is that is that his name? Is that right? Volk. Volk. Um, I, I think I think it's informative for them because she's trying to teach him a lesson, right? Mm-hmm. She's educating him, uh, and it, it's supposed to inform that character. So you, you're, yeah, you're getting some backstory on Takuvma, who's dead. But maybe it's going to help you with some of the motivations. Yeah. I mean, I just I would have felt a lot better about the ship of the dead design had we known that it was an old salvage. 
Yeah. Because when I saw the ship of the dead, I'm like, how is that thing even space worthy? I mean, it just looked terrible. Yeah. And it, like I said, had this coincided with the release, you know, like when they released the, um, the Star Trek, uh, the, 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 the Kelvin verse, the first JJ Abrams, they had a countdown to the movie, um, that, that told the story of how Spock came to, um, the time, uh, the, the dimension, that the new Star Trek series or movies yeah. take place in things like yeah. that, you know, um, had this led into it or, you know, just kind of, but like, or just been released right after it just feels like the timing on it is a bit off, um, for, for me to, to necessarily care about this. And how about those Klingons and their foul mouths? <laughs> yeah. They, they, they are filthy, dirty talkers. She's like, I will wipe my ass with this armor. <laughs> Well, and it does amuse me. They call this armor and they're like picking up the sleeve of Giorgio's uniform. Yeah. You know, no, they call that a shirt, you moron. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I'm drawn to in this book is that there's some time spent on the construction of a Klingon sarcophagus. Right. And we saw those in the pilot where, you know, on the ship of the dead, they put the Klingon deceased in a sarcophagus and attach it to the ship. And one of the things that I griped about when we did our first episode is that, you know, we've seen in Klingon culture that they don't give a shit about the body, right? The body doesn't mean anything. The spirit of the warrior has has moved on. They howl at the at the heavens to let them know, let the folks know in Stovo Core that a warrior meet, right? Just toss it. We, yeah. we don't need it anymore. It doesn't mean anything. Um, <clears throat> if this is canon – we're seeing a period of time in Klingon culture in which they glorify the remains of their dead, uh, which means that there's going to be a shift somewhere. And I suspect, given the emphasis that it's placed here and in the pilot, you know, because you, you, while this may not be true canon, it's canon-like, canon-ish, uh, because Kirsten Beyer did assist on the writing of this, it suggests that we're going to see a shift in Klingon culture uh, between now and the end of this series, uh, so I'm I'm a little fascinated by that, you know, yeah. and and what what the, what what causes that change? And you know, I we're not done with Laurel, we're not done with Vok. No. There's more Klingon stuff going to happen, despite the fact that the crew is presently elsewhere, right? Yeah. So, I you know I didn't love this book. I enjoyed the book. Uh, you know, it's not anything that that. Uh, is particularly illuminating, you know, like, like you were saying, Paul, when, when they did the, you know, the, the sort of road to Star Trek 2009 in the IDW Star Trek books where you had, it was a next generation story and, you know, uh, uh, Romulus was threatened and, you know, we get to see the, the backstory and origin of Nero, who's a good guy in that book before he becomes a bad guy in Star Trek 2009. Um, this is not that. This is not that road to discovery. No, it is not. And so, uh, same writer, Mike Johnson, I think, wrote that book as well. Yeah, Mike Johnson Mike Johnson uh, writes some good Star Trek. Yeah. Well, he also wrote this week's Star Trek Boltly Go with art by yeah. Megan Levins, um, which is the second part of IDIC, which stands for, Aaron? Uh, it's pronounced Edic, and it's Edic. Infinite Diversity in Infinite Combinations, Paul. Infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Yes. Um, so this is kind of their crisis on infinite Earths of, <laughs> of the Star Trek universe, uh, because as you as you turn to page two of this book, you get uh, a two page spread of all the various enterprises. Um, 
I shouldn't. Well, I, I'm assuming they're all Enterprises, but they're not necessarily. It's all the various Captain Kirk's uh, led right. ships of all the various universes. Um, so, Aaron, what did you think of uh, Star Trek Boltly Go number 14? Well, first of all, that 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 big splash page where you've got all the all the different ships is pretty darn cool. Um, I, I really like the uh, red Enterprise that looks like it's made of crab. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it, it looks kind of badass. I was like, oh, I, I like that one right there. Um, you know, all, I, it, it, I always like these kinds of, of uh, uh, alternate universe stories. Mm-hmm. And in this alternate universe story, you know, we're, we've got a couple of different ships uh, that we're focusing on. So we've got the USS Endeavor, which has the Kelvin universe captain kirk on it right because remember enterprise was destroyed in star trek beyond so they're on the endeavor you know kirk and a few of his command crew are on the endeavor until the enterprise is ready to come out of uh, dry dock um and then you have the uh uss enterprise under the command of jane kirk and we saw her in a previous issue of boldly go uh and this is where the genders are reversed right so uh uh, Kirk, Spock, McCoy are all women. Uhura is a man, right? Um, it's but, Uhuro. You know, yeah, Uhuro. <laughs> like you could, <laughs> I, I feel like that was a cop out. Uhuro <laughs> instead of Uhura. Right, right. Uh, but you know, you have uh, uh, you know the genders reversed on that one, and then the other is a world in which Spock embraced his humanity as opposed to his. Uh, Vulcan identity, so much so that he had his ears rounded. He had his ears surgically altered to look uh, more human, and he doesn't, you know, have his uh, Three Stooges Mo haircut. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's wearing it in a more natural, fun sort of way. Um, so anyway, it's, it's this, it's this, you know, very different sort of of uh, alternate universe. It's not specifically the mirror universe, which is where we typically go in alternate universe stories in the Star Trek universe. Um, and it's kind of fun. Um, there's a lot of, of people figuring out where they are because, you know, there are, uh, you know, the different crews are mixed up or they're jumbled, mixed up and kicked into different, different settings. And so everyone's trying to figure out where they are and we're setting the table for what is bound to be uh, fun and hijinks, Paul. I, I suspect shenanigans will ensue um, because at the some very shenanigans, maybe some malarkey. A, ooh, malarkey. malarkey. Well, you know, generally, I don't truck with malarkey, Paul. Uh, I just won't. I won't truck with it. He, will, he does not abide malarkey. <laughs> I will not abide malarkey. Um, but on the very last page, we find this. Uh, you know. Very, very lovely uh, 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 Indian woman uh, uh, sitting on her throne with two tigers next to her. And we fi- find out that she is the, uh, the, the leader of the House of Khan. So we've got a gender reversed, uh, you know, Khan Noonien Singh. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, this just looks fun, fun, fun. I'm, I, so I'm you, enjoying it. I, 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 yeah, yeah I, I, I would agree with you. It's just a fun book. Um, you know, there. Yeah. It's. I like all the different interpretations. It's not. You know. It's. For I. I for when I started reading it, I'm like, okay, this is making my head hurt. <laughs> but then, you know, if you just embrace the fact that it's. It's not intended to be something you think about too much. It's just intended to be a fun little tale. Um. Then, then I think you you can enjoy it more. In fact, they've got robot versions 
of yeah, uh, of I, all the various ca- of all the various characters too. It's just a it is just I a am, silly fun story. I am Unit JTK seventeen oh one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I there you know as they as they work the settings. One of the very interesting settings I found was you know they they're like oh we landed on New Vulcan. And then that universe of Spock shows up and he's like, New Vulcan? What the hell are you talking about? New Vulcan. They're like, well, you know, it's the it's the colony world where uh, the Vulcans moved to after the planet was destroyed. He goes, oh, no, I think you're thinking of New Earth. So this universe is a, is a world where Earth was destroyed by Nero as opposed to Vulcan being destroyed by Nero. Yes. So I, I thought that was an interesting choice. And, you know, I'm I, as I'm reading that, I'm, I'm like, you know, in the Kelvin universe, that's actually a more interesting choice blowing up earth yeah you know i was like huh that is a much more interesting choice than blowing up vulcan that you know what you make a point but then it turns into battlestar galactica well yeah but you know battlestar galactica also a more interesting choice than star trek 2009 (laughs) oh snap (laughs) gauntlet thrown hey ron berman's my boy Ron Berman, Ron Moore. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, he, he, uh, clearly he's not. You don't even know his name. Ron Berman and uh, yeah, <laughs> Ron Berman is the is the the product of Ron Moore and uh, 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 what's his name? Rick Berman. Rick is that Berman. His name? Yes, yeah. <laughs> their love child. <laughs> <laughs> it's early, Paul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know. Um, we had a couple of show topics that we want to talk to you guys about today, which is including uh, the, the the criticism regarding the canon and special effects of Star Trek Discovery. All right, yes. we, we, are, we are in the offseason. We don't have a new episode to talk about. So obviously we've been talking about news, comics. Now we're going to talk a little bit about um, some of the criticisms that have, have been leveraged upon Discovery. Uh, obviously, canon being a one that not only um, have you've probably seen elsewhere you've heard about on this very podcast right well you know I, I one of the criticisms that i strongly object to is the criticism that you can't complain about uh the technology as it's represented in the show that that's not a fair criticism and in what you way know, is that not a fair criticism i, I guess what, I, I i guess my question is how would that not be a fair criticism well, I heard one of the producers talking about, you know, one of the things that drives me crazy is when people talk about, uh, you know, the way the technology is represented, that that's not a fair criticism, uh, such as the the use of the holographic communication devices, right? Uh, you know, that you're using a, a hologram on the bridge to communicate as opposed to the main viewer. And he's, he's like, you know, they didn't have the technology to do that in the 60s, 70s, and the 80s, so we're doing it now. And, you know, I'm like, That is a fair complaint, though, because there's no reason to do it other than the fact that you can do it. It doesn't hurt you to have a main viewer. You know, I mean, it's no one's looking at the main viewer going, hey, why isn't that 4K? (laughs) You know, Uh, I I, that's what drives me crazy about it. It was they did it because they could do it, not because, uh, you know, not, not because of any other story reason. And my complaint about canon is that, you know, writers sometimes feel bound up. They feel they feel, you know, uh, uh, trapped by the previous stories. And so some writers just choose not to fuck with it. I mean, we've heard that in comics all the time, right, that that uh, comic book writers will just say, ah, fuck canon. Right. We see that all the time, all the time. 
Um, and I think that that is a, a, uh, an attitude of a weak or perhaps undisciplined writer. Because what canon does is it, it lays out a structure. It's like physical laws, right? You know, you, in, in physics, you don't get to just say, eh, we're not going to abide by those laws unless you create another law that allows you to do that. And that's what canon does. Canon gives you this structure that says this is the world that's been created how do you operate within it? If you want to do this other thing that contradicts canon, you need to create a reason why you can do that in your story. And that's all it does. But you have writers who don't want to screw with that. And I think that's because you've got writers who don't want to do the work. And that's what drives me crazy. And I think it is a valid concern. It's not a fan saying, you're fucking up my Star Trek. It's a fan saying, you're not doing the work. Do the work. Yeah. And I, I you know, I agree with you. And I, I feel like... I feel like a lot of the technology things are done just to make it more showy. Uh -huh. And here's the thing. I would have zero complaints if they just made it look better. Uh-huh. Right? That, that, so for me, like, okay, I'm aware. The technology was our technology, not not the Star Trek technology. But the, <laughs> right. But the movie-making technology was different 40 years ago. Totally. Or 50 right. years ago. Um, right. You know, totally get that. However... That's been established that that's the technology that you're dealing with. And while I understand that, you know, that you have more money and you have more advancements in tech in, in movie making technology, I do feel like work within that structure and just make it look better. Like if it yeah. just looked better, then I'd have no problem with it. If for, to your point, if it was just 4K, that's fine. However, a hologram is a different technology. Exactly. It's a whole different thing. Uh, is it, know, is it, um, well, and the same thing with like site to site transporting. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. for for whatever reason, they never did it in the original series and did not do it until the next generation. So why is it all of a sudden that they're doing it in this show other than they don't want to shoot a scene <laughs> of someone running down a hall or someone entering a room? Which I got to imagine. You don't even need to do that. Just say, hey, let's head into engineering. Bam, exactly. You're in, and then and you, the next you, thing you know, you're an engineer. Yeah. 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 No, those are the things that drive drive me nuts. And I, and I hear... The you know various producers of, of Star Trek Discovery saying it's not a valid criticism, and I think it absolutely is. I think it absolutely is a valid criticism. Does not keep me from watching Star Trek Discovery and, for the most part, enjoying Star Trek Discovery. But it does drive me crazy because it, it tells me that they're willing to make shortcuts instead of doing the work. Yeah, I hear you there. Uh, yeah, um, and that's what drives me crazy. And it, you know, every time I hear someone complain about canon. It drives me crazy because the value of 50 years of history in Star Trek is tremendous. And one of the things I really respect about what J.J. Abrams did in Star Trek 2009 is that he did not wipe all of our shared 50 years of history in Star Trek. He found another universe to go tell the stories in. Yeah. And everything – and I'm like, yeah, I'm not real wild about these actors, but it's a whole lot uh, – I, I can certainly accept it a whole lot more than if they had just said, no, no, this guy is Captain Kirk. He's always been Captain Kirk. Yeah. You know, I, I mean I, 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 I appreciated that he found a way to respect the past, yep. embrace a new – you know, a, a new future, um, and tell a different story, but without necessarily negating what has happened before. Agreed. And so, and, and incorporated, incorporated it, right? It's not like he just said, acknowledged that they're a different universe. 
he incorporated it into the core of the story by exactly. having Leonard Nimoy, uh, Spock in the in the story. So I respect that. And regardless of your feelings about the Kelvinverse, I happen to be a fan of it. Um, you know, I, 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 and that that part at least I respect. But I feel like Discovery, it, it is setting itself up. Discovery has set itself up to piss people off. <laughs> and you know, for for better or worse, it, it feels like they they didn't need to. They did not need to set it in the time period that it was set. They did not need to to embrace the fans by telling them, no, 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 this will all fit. This will all fit. Yeah. Um, but they they do, and they continue to do so. Right, even right. despite their comments about the technology, they are still telling people, hey, hold on, this is just the first bit. There's more coming. It'll all make sense. And I gotta be honest. They haven't earned that yet. No, for they me, sure they have. have not earned the fact that. Yeah, I bet you this will all make sense in the end, um, because the, nothing they've done so far has shown me that it will. Right? That that there's going to yeah. be so. The only way that it's going to all fit in the end is if some stuff that I've seen gets wiped out of content, <laughs> gets wiped yeah. out of the show. Yeah, um, that's the only way that that I can see this making sense. Well, they're going to use that uh, Men in Black mind wiper, Paul. <laughs> and, and wipe out the technology stick. oh yeah well, we had a ship that could teleport <laughs> but uh now we don't but, yeah <laughs> uh -uh. yeah i uh i i don't get me wrong i you know it, it, it's in our opening uh our opening credits right that we 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 boldly complain about things that that no one's complained about before right <laughs> uh or, or you know we, we complain more about it i should say but uh i, I complain because i love paul that's what I do. I yeah. complain because I love. That's the, that's what my wife tells me all the time. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I, I'm not, I don't think we're complaining from. I'm not trying to be a troll. I'm not trying to be one of those fans that's so nitpicky about stupid shit. Um, you know, I, I I feel like there are, are, are too many of those out there. Um, but I I feel like, but I, I am a fan clearly, and uh, I you know I just want I, I want my i want my creators to respect the genre or or the the franchises that they have been given the keys to i agree um i, I agree. think that's where it comes from like you have been given the keys to a 50 year old franchise don't fuck it up a dearly beloved 50 year old franchise it's not like you found it in the junkyard right and you're gonna go sand <laughs> and the sun salvaged this, it this. up yeah <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, that's not the case. I mean, this there 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 are are those who have been guardians of this property. You know, and and keep in mind, Star Trek would not be what it is today if the fans had not loved it enough to keep it alive after it was canceled after three seasons, right? Um, I mean, this more the fans more than anything, more than in any other uh, franchise property, have kept this thing alive. Um, and so I, I think that I'd like to see a little bit more respect paid to things that, that fans value. Yeah. And I hear, I, I, I hear it in comics and I've certainly heard the Star Trek producers say this fans don't know what they want to see. They don't know what they need. They think they know what they want. That also drives me crazy. You know, I, I, uh, I hear that and I've heard it before and, and yeah, I, and I, I'm having difficulty talking today. You know, there, <laughs> there was a, a, someone we spoke to, um, I don't. I think it was on Funny Books. No, I'm sorry. It was on my Four Hauntsmen podcast, uh -huh. um, where we, we we spoke to one of the creative team, and he said, you know, I I hear the fans, I hear what they what they want. He said, however, um, 
you know, it, it's a slippery slope, right, of fan service versus not. And he said sometimes what where we have to come from the standpoint to, from uh, as creators is you don't even know you want this yet. Right. We're going to give it to you and you're going to realize you wanted it all along. Um, and that's fair. I mean, yeah. I, I do think that's fair. I mean, the artist needs to have room to uh, innovate and provide new things. I'm just saying that when you're innovating, when you're when you're telling fresh and new stories, remember that you're doing it within an existing framework and honor those things that that have been you know set up. Don't just whisk them away because they're troublesome to the story you're trying to tell. Exactly. You know, find yeah. a way. You, yeah. You, you have you have had a year. To, yeah. to make well, this happen. And, and it's math. It's, it, I mean, it's, I, I, I hate to put it in those terms. It's problem solving, mm-hmm. you know, and, and ju- just like in, in mathematics, as in art, you're solving a problem. And that's, that's what I, I find maddening is that when folks sweep away canon, what they've said is that I can't solve the problem. Yeah. You Agreed. know, um, another criticism and then, then we'll move on. Uh, Oh gosh, it was there a second ago. Damn it. <laughs> uh, oh, the, the another criticism, or not a criticism, something that I have heard uh, the Star Trek producers say is bragging on the actress who plays Cadet Tilly, uh, that she played by Mary Wiseman, uh, saying that they discovered her, that you know this is her first thing. I'd like to point out that she was a regular recurring character on Longmire. Oh, they okay. they did they did not discover Mary Wiseman. Yeah, this is her big break, you know. But I mean, I mean she's Longmire actually Longmire is is a is not a it's not a drop in the bucket. I mean, it's a pretty no, decent but, show. It's well known. But she was she was a uh, a recurring supporting character, not like a main character who's in every episode. But I'm just like, come on, you know. <laughs> Let's not pretend that that she didn't she didn't have a career before this show. Ticks me off mainly because I'm a Longmire fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, I'd originally talked about swapping the next two topics, but since we're talking about fans and fan service and things like that, it, it probably makes sense to talk about um, the fan produced Star Trek Continues series, um, which it, it, we had recently spoken about on this show. Um, and I think we said that the, the final episode was coming. Uh, and I guess now it has concluded. Yeah, uh, Star Trek Continues by uh, Vic Mignona, I believe it's pronounced, uh, who I didn't realize until recently, Paul, I've met. He was at uh, Mission New York. I met him. Some of those props that that, uh, you got to get your pictures taken next to. Remember they had the bridge set up? Those are his. And uh, he he was there. Huh. And he talked to me in line. I didn't have a clue who he was. (laughs) I, I... I, I, it dawned on me uh, this weekend. I was like, oh, I've met him. <laughs> and it was I, I saw an interview with him where he wasn't playing Captain Kirk. And it was just it, it was sort of a very different persona. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've met that guy before. That's anyway, yeah, it is funny. I mean, I had no idea. And I'm sure there are people like going, hey, that's that's Vic Mignona, Captain Kirk from Star Trek Continues. I, I had no clue. Anyway, Aaron, big time. Um, some like gives him a passing uh, wave and walks right by him. Well, he was talking to me about, you know, well, you know, you can come and see all of our, our full size sets at our, oh, at our big that warehouse. Dude? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, I, I'm like, oh, yeah, where is that place? And it was like a two hour drive away from New York City. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> no, we won't be doing that. But uh, anywho, uh, 
Star Trek Continues has has concluded. It's been a, a fan produced series with extraordinary quality. And Paul, have you ever watched an episode? I have not. I, I am familiar with it, but I have not seen an episode. It is remarkable the quality. I mean, the the quality is on the production is every bit as good as the original series. Uh, every bit as good as the uh, the uh, HD uh, remastered original series. I am wow. okay. I am startled at the quality of this fan produced uh, project. Uh, I forget how many episodes there are, but the the idea is that it picks up directly from the last episode of Star Trek, the original series, and continues the five-year mission. And so when Paramount and CBS issued their their policy around what fan films could be, they still had several episodes in production. And so they negotiated an agreement with Paramount and said, look – um, we'd like to finish up what we've got and then we'll stop. And, and because they had never done what another fan production had done, which is uh, raised money for their show and then used it to pay themselves salaries, they never took a profit. They never took a salary. They just raised money for production costs, right? Um, Paramount allowed them to, to go ahead and wrap it up. So they were able to actually conclude – their series. And over the course of these last two episodes uh, of the series, they did something beautiful. Uh, they, 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 it was one of those things, Paul, that paid attention to the fans. Obviously, it's a, it's a, it's a fan-produced project and closed a lot of loops in the stories and queued it up perfectly for Star Trek The Motion Picture. I, I, it was a huh. – a, a lovingly produced story. And it's not until the second part and the first part, you're like, Oh, they're tying this back to where no man has gone before the, the second original series pilot, you know, where you have Gary Mitchell get all these, you know, super psionic powers and, you know, as they cross the galactic barrier and it's where no man has gone before is one of my favorite star Trek, uh, uh, episodes. So I'm in on this story. And, you know, I, I said that the you've got production, you've got uh, professional production values on Star Trek continues. And, you know, yeah, sometimes the acting isn't where it ought to be. Uh, you know, you have got uh, you have got some professional actors on the show and then you've got some others who are who are less than professional. But it's all it's all shot in such a professional manner. You can forgive some of that because, hey. We all saw uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation's first season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, we all saw how Tasha Yar just yelled at everything. So I can forgive this. Um, if you squint your eyes, it feels just like an original series episode. But when it moves into the second part of the story, and these are two full hours of uh, of story, you see that it is like, oh, we're going to find out what made uh, Spock leave. Uh, leave Starfleet and go to Vulcan to study Colin R. We're going to see what made Dr. McCoy retire. We're going to see what encouraged uh, Kirk to take the Admiralty. Um, I mean, all these things, we're going to find out why, you know, the Enterprise got refit. And oh, by the way, Discovery makes an appearance in this episode. What? Yeah, it's crazy. I loved these two episodes. Uh, you know, th- every single one of these is, like I said, is just lovingly produced, fantastically made. Some of the stories hit better than others, just like Star Trek does. Uh, I, I can't recommend this enough. And the only thing that, 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 I mean, you can, you can stream it in HD uh, off of YouTube. 
I would love to have these on Blu-ray. And that'll never happen because of, of the way these things are are produced and, and what Paramount and CBS will allow them to do. But I, I, I'm glad that they were able to uh, finish their story. I am thankful that, you know, Paramount and CBS understood the value of that. Um, you know, I, I think that that was they didn't have to be open to letting them do that. They could have just said, nope, you know, uh, your, your friends at Axanar screwed it for you. <laughs> you know. So how long has that show been on, the Star War- Star Trek Continues? It's been on for a while because it used to just be a web series. Yeah. You know, back in the day. Uh, but, you know, what they would do is they would do one or two episodes a year. They didn't do like a full bank of you know a season of 10 or 20 episodes because, you know, fan produced. But they do one or two episodes a year. But now they've got it. I think they've got at least 14 episodes that are out there. Uh, and they're really good, Paul. They're really good. Hmm. So, I, you know, I, I haven't seen every single one. I've probably seen about half of them, uh, but thoroughly enjoyed them. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Hmm. Sounds interesting. Yeah. I, I, I highly recommend check it out. You know, uh, it's free entertainment there to download off the YouTube. Uh, Star Trek continues. I'll put a link down in the show notes at uh, yeah, iomgeek.com. Do. So, you know, uh, this has been our, our, our first of our mid-season uh, break episodes. Um, we're going to come back at least one more time before the January, what, 8th premiere of uh, – of Star Trek Discovery. I believe. So you'll get to you'll get to hear us at least one more time, but we want to hear from you. We want to hear, you know, what 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 complaints and criticism drive you crazy about Star Trek and Star Trek Discovery. We want to get your opinion. So you can talk to us on Twitter. That's at uh, Ideology Madness on Twitter. Uh, you can talk to us on Instagram. That's IOM Geek on Instagram. Paul, how do they find us on Facebook? On Facebook, we are at IOM Geek. IOM Geek. And then uh, on the web, we're at IOMGeek.com or IdeologyofMadness.com. Either one of those will get you to us. Or you can give us a call at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, is 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. Or you can send your naked Klingon pictures to Aaron on Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure they're, they're they're TNG or TOS uh, Klingons. None of this Star Trek Discovery stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, no, 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 none of that. Th- those guys are scary. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we will see you next time. Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. Tribble Wrangling provided by Triskelion Trays, no troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers, conveniently located on the promenade.